Business Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Healthcare warnings. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka. Welcome to Black Friday, November 24. Here's what's coming up this hour. Staffing shortages and aging doctors are creating a dangerous path for America's burned out healthcare workforce. If the economy heads south, Hear how the baby boomer generation could keep it from a recession. Some online marketplaces are sending shoppers miniature versions of their orders, like cowboy hats and utensils. Is it deliberate? And are you looking for a bridge? States like Iowa and Oklahoma are trying to find homes for historic structures. Some states will basically just hand over the bridge to you and then they say, you know, you're on your own to pick it up and move it. Um, Some places will, will charge you the salvage cost of the bridge, so, you know, what they would get by salvaging all the steel and the structures and all that in the wood. They're not trying to make any money off these bridge, let's put it that way. They're basically trying to get rid of it. David Harrison at the Wall Street Journal on what's involved in claiming a historic bridge for yourself. Well, staffing shortages, more dangerous workplaces, aging physicians, and the increasing politicization of medicine. Caitlin Owens at Axios says the warning signs for America's burned-out healthcare workforce are all there. Caitlin, what have you found? So there's just been a few different new data points um, and then just a pretty frank warning from the head of the AMA, that's the American Medical Association, over the past few um, days about just uh, essentially staff shortages. Um, And there's been signs about how healthcare worker burnout is getting worse. Um, there's more political polarization in the system. And so there's, you know, you know, experts have long projected that the country is heading for a healthcare worker shortage, but it's always kind of been in the future. But what AMA head is saying is that it's here and it's just going to get worse. Goodness. All right. So staffing issues, how? Like techs, doctors, nurses, all of it? All of it. Yeah. And I think you're seeing this play out, right? So some of this, I mean, staffing shortages and then you're seeing um, basically unhappy healthcare workers, right? Like you're, we're seeing some of these strikes around the country among healthcare workers. Uh, you know, I've heard, I'm sure we've all heard one story after another about um, doctors, nurses, um, other providers just facing, you know, huge burnout following the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and there's signs that some of them are leaving the workforce and there's even more signs that many of them are thinking about leaving the workforce. And we're just not replenishing those ranks at a fast enough pace, I guess. Yeah, you know, and I mentioned this in my story, and it's a pretty eye-opening stat. Almost half of practicing U.S. physicians are older than 55 right now. Um, So, you know, that's 10 years away from the retirement age. And what are we going to do once they do retire? Um, Yes, to, to your point, there's just not enough people coming into the profession to take their place. Boy, So are, are patients, uh, is there evidence patients are suffering here in some way? You know, there there is evidence that patients are starting to notice that the system doesn't have the capacity to take them right now. Um, there was one survey from a group that that surveyed hospitals, health systems, and medical groups. Um, it said two-thirds of respondents among those groups said that staffing shortages have forced them to run at less than full capacity at some point over the past year. Um, and almost two-thirds of them said that they're struggling to meet patients' demand for care at doctor's practices, um, which, well, yeah, would suggest that patients are having somewhat of a harder time getting the appointments they're looking for. Boy, we're speaking with Caitlin Owens, senior policy reporter at Axios. Her story is called Warning Signs for the U.S. Health System Are Piling Up. Seems like a vicious cycle, the way you painted the picture. Uh, the stress of COVID led many to 
retire or quit, and that left the work falling on fewer bodies, and then those fewer bodies started to say enough is enough, and the work fell to even fewer people. It's what I'm guessing. Yeah, and, you know, I think that a couple things have changed post-COVID, right? Like patient behavior has changed where um, the CDC said this week that more healthcare workers are, are reporting harassment on the job. Um, you know, there's been a lot more uh, medical politics, as we've seen over the past few years, especially surrounding abortion and gender-affirming care, um, which a lot of healthcare workers have opinions about. Um, and then, and then to just think about the demographics of it, as we talked about earlier, the workforce is aging. Um, but the flip side of that is the entire, I mean, the entire country is aging, right? So as those people get older, not only the physicians that are retiring, but everyone else is going to need more health care. Um, so, you know, if we if we think things are spiraling now, it, it does have this potential to get worse. Right. Are there any solutions in the mix? Um, you know, yes, there's, and some of them are small, some of them are big, and some of them you have to look at who's saying what, right? But so the AMA is saying, um, they give a few. One was to, as they say, fix Medicare payment to make it more generous. They're saying it's not paying enough. Um, a few other ideas they threw out there was just making it um, safer in terms of, you know, no workplace consequences for healthcare workers to, to receive mental health care. Um, another idea that's out there is allowing more foreign doctors to come in, into the country and practice medicine here, which would obviously require some kind of immigration reform, um, which is much easier said than done, as, as we all probably know. Um, so there's a few things out there, but yeah, it would require, you know, some political cooperation on a pretty big scale that, you know, just isn't, isn't the norm these days. Thanks, Caitlin. Caitlin Owens, reporter at Axios. Coming up next, The Generation that can save us from recession. Hey, it's Gordon Deal, your personal HelloFresh holiday helper. Seriously, make your holiday festivities stand out with HelloFresh with over 45 scrumptious recipes that will impress at your party. This season, indulge in the joy of cooking made simple. HelloFresh delivers right to your door so it's convenient and saves time. And with the very specific step-by-step -step instructions from HelloFresh, it's easy for someone with zero kitchen skills like me to follow along. Make it the tastiest holiday season yet with HelloFresh. HelloFresh lets me ditch the store run. No stressing about running back and forth or worrying about forgetting something. Their farm-fresh and pre-portioned ingredients make cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free and use code Gordon Free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free with the code Gordon Free. Unleash the tasty seasonal flavors from America's number one meal kit. Order HelloFresh today at HelloFresh.com slash Gordon Free. Thanks for spending part of your Black Friday with us. A number of different shocks could push the U.S. economy into a recession, but baby boomers and their $75 trillion nest egg could save the day. Here's how from Cork Gaines, economy correspondent at Insider. Cork, explain. Well, it's it, it, first of all, the economy is just in this really weird place right now, right? And it's, you know, we, 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 see things like the job markets. Okay. We see things like people are still kind of spending on some fun stuff and, and having their fun. But at the same time, there's all these bad things that could be happening or might be coming soon. And boomers are kind of resistant to all that right now. Uh, you know, there was always this concern that when boomers got older and they entered their retirement years, that they would one stop 
contributing to the economy and two, they wouldn't spend very much. Uh, it turned out neither of those things are true. We see a lot of boomers still working. We see they're spending kind of freely. And a lot of these factors that are kind of leaning in on, you know, especially younger people are not really impacting the older generation as much. So then if the economy were to go into a recession, what the, the thought process is they'd continue spending boomers the way they are that would prop things up. They wouldn't somewhat go into hiding. Yeah. I mean, they're, they are, they are less, they're going to be less impacted by a downturn in the economy. You know, they, they've, they've built up a lot of wealth, obviously from the $75 trillion nest egg. Um, they, uh, a lot of that wealth is in real estate. For example, they have benefited from the skyrocketing housing prices, which is terrible for young people trying to buy homes, but it's great for them because it increases their net worth. The older people's net worth they're also less impacted by things like, uh, you know, the rising interest rates because there are most of these people who own their home. They already own their homes. A lot of them are free and clear and they are not going to be one. They don't need to move as often. For example, they're, you know, younger people are moving for jobs, for family, whatever it is. Older people do not feel that pressure to move as much. And because of that, they don't, they can just sit there and sit on their low interest rates if they have a mortgage. And a lot of them don't even have a mortgage. So they have this value built up in their real estate and they are not going to be impacted by, you know, these sky high mortgage interest rates that are going around right now. Yeah. The flip side of that is they're actually taking advantage of those interest rates. Right. They can actually take that money when, you know, as you get older, you know, this, the standard advice that you get is as you get older, you start to put your money in less risky stuff and in safer stuff. And a lot of that is bonds and whatever. And they, you know, high, high yield savings accounts and all those interest rates right now are, you know, sky high for them. And so they are not only worried about not having to spend into the higher interest rates, they're actually taking advantage of it with their savings right now. Wow. We're speaking with Court Gaines, economy correspondent at Insider. He's got a good story that's called Forget Gen Zers and Taylor Swift Concerts. It's boomers who are flashing their dollars. Um, they're different from, say, the previous generation, right? it was the, the, the greatest generation. They seem to have a different approach here. Yeah, they do. They, they've kind of, it, it turns out, and again, kind of gets back to that point I, I was saying earlier about how, you know, there was some worry that they would spend less um, because of the growing up with their parents who did spend less. And those, you know, the previous generation who kind of grew up in the, in the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the hard economic times of the 1910s, 1920s, and they got very scared about money and were much more tight with their money. There was some feeling that that would kind of, uh, you know, spill over into the next generation, into the baby boomers, but that just hasn't been the case. They've been more of a let's live for the today type of, um, you know, attitude where, you know, they've got this nest egg, they've got this money and they're going to go out and enjoy it. They're not going to worry so much about, you know, saving. Uh, they've been through some uh, slower economic times, but they haven't experienced the really hardship economic times and they've experienced a lot of really good economic times. So, yeah. you know, their feelings are, it appears to be is, yeah, maybe there's a downturn. It's not really going to affect me much, but maybe it does a little bit, but things always get better is kind of their mindset. And so they are less worried about, you know, hoarding their money and, and sticking, you know, you know, hiding it underneath the mattress or whatever. Yeah. They don't seem to be taking part in these surveys that indicate, generally speaking, as Americans, we're lousy savers. <laughs> um, we, yeah, it, it, it does seem like there's this, you know, this general attitude. And we, we, we've seen this in kind of, that's the reference I was making in the headline with, you know, the Taylor Swift concerts and this, you know, and, and I've written about that before. It's just kind of this summer of fun. It, it does kind of seem like the, the younger generation 
it kind of senses that the economy is is up. I mean, they, they know the economy is not great right now. They kind of sense it could get worse, but they also kind of are acting like, well, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down having a good time. <laughs> and, um, you know, so they're spending gobs of money on Taylor Swift concerts and not just tickets. I mean, they're traveling for these shows. Um, you know, there's more people, you know, and it's, and it's not just Taylor Swift. either. Obviously, she was just the really big example this summer. There was a ton of other things. Thanks, Cork. Cork Gaines, economy correspondent at Insider. Hey, glad you're with us. A number of states are trying to find homes for historic structures like bridges. Here's this morning's Jennifer Koshenka. If you're looking to buy a bridge, Iowa has one for you. So does Oklahoma and Louisiana. As David Harrison of the Wall Street Journal explains, the government is trying to offload some historic structures. David, what's <laughs> happening with these bridges that are being replaced? So um, whenever you have, whenever you want to replace a bridge, right, whenever a state uh, or local Department of Transportation wants to replace a bridge, um, what you have to do if it's a historic bridge um, is, by law, you can't uh, just, you know, tear it down and get rid of it. You have to try to preserve it. And to do that, you need to try to offload it to somebody who will take care of it. So, um, you know, right now there's an awful lot of infrastructure money that's going around, and a lot of bridges are being in place. So there's the big need to, um, to find takers, to find ready takers for these, for these old bridges. Do people actually pay money for the bridges, or do they just take them? How does it work? So that depends by you know state by state. Uh, some states will basically just hand over the bridge to you, and then they say, you know, you're on your own to pick it up and move it. Um, some places will, will charge you the salvage cost of the bridge, so, you know, what they would get by salvaging all the steel and the structures and all that and the wood. You have to pay that. So uh, it's not, I mean, they're not trying to make any money off this bridge. Let's put it that way. They're basically trying to get rid of it in a way that will that will preserve it. So, um, you know, if there is a cost involved, it's pretty minimal. Um, but in a lot of cases, you you're, you kind of have to um, have to move it yourself. And that's where, where it can get a little bit expensive. But uh, some places have, um, have grant money available to, to reimburse some of those costs. What makes these bridges historic? Is there something specific about them that makes them a, a treasured property? Yeah, so a lot of the bridges that end up being moved, the ones that, that, are, that you can move, uh, are what's known as truss bridges. So they're the kind, I'm sure you know, you've seen, you've driven over them, you've seen them, especially in the Northeast. They have, um, they're metal and they have sort of a network of horizontal and vertical and diagonal metal beams. Basically, if you drive over a bridge, a metal bridge, and you see a triangle in the structure, that probably means it's a truss. Um, and it, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're very popular in the late 19th, early 20th century uh, because they, you could build a pretty long, sturdy bridge by using relatively little material. Uh, and a lot of the um, what, what kind of makes them sort of unique and historic is, is kind of their engineering. They have they're sort of they're very sort of elaborately engineered uh, to to take a lot of weight and to go long, you know, to, to run over a big span uh, using relatively little steel. Um, and what's what's kind of another point that's kind of really neat about these is these sort of metal trusses are really kind of an American specialty. Like they were really um, popularized, developed, uh, you know, made really sort of widespread here in the U.S. Um, in the 18, starting in the 1840s. We're speaking with David Harrison of the Wall Street Journal. David, your story talks uh, about a guy in Louisiana who adopted one of these bridges. Talk about what he did. Yeah, so this guy, he bought, he bought an old sugar mill um, a few years ago in sort of rural Louisiana. 
And um, there was a bridge kind of right next to the mill that, you know, used to be the bridge that you used to take the sugar, you know, to, to serve the mill, right? To take the sugar, uh, you know, to, to go back and forth to the mill. Um, and the state wanted to replace this bridge. It was kind of a relatively small bridge. So he said, you know what, I'll take this bridge off your hands. And so he moved it. He didn't have to move it very far because the property was right next door. Um, and he had a little pond on his property, so he just placed it right there. And now it sort of sits there. And, um, you know, it's become kind of, uh, you know, local people drive by and they stop and take pictures because, of course, they all recognize the bridge. Everybody knows sort of, you know, what this bridge was. Um, and, yeah, he's got it He's got it there. Um, just that bridge is kind of neat because he... Um, it's one of those bridges that has it has like a central pivot point, so it can actually spin around from the center. Um, it was designed that way to spin around so that boats could go by uh, on the bayou there. So it's it's got this sort of neat little feature that that still works. He says. Um, so, but yeah, so he's 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 quite pleased with uh, with his bridge. That's this morning's Jennifer Koshenka with Wall Street Journal reporter David Harrison. Thanks for spending part of your Friday with us. Black Friday, November 24, Gordon Deal with Jennifer Koshenka. Coming up this half hour, how Black Friday could be different this year. Also, many versions delivered of your online order. And who gets emergency calls on Black Friday? We'll have that story in about 20 minutes. Well, people are grappling with differing opinions among friends, family, and colleagues in the wake of the Hamas attack on Israel and Israel's response. For example, a college group text devolving because no one can agree. Millennials walking on eggshells for fear of upsetting their Gen Z partners. Here's David Oliver, wellness reporter at USA Today. David, what are you hearing? People are having these conversations both on social media and off that families, friends, everyone is sort of arguing about a really complicated topic in a super not nuanced way, um, because it's really hard to have these types of conversations. And experts said you really have to, you know, you have to go in with very clear intentions when you're having these conversations to figure out if you're trying to just kind of vent or you're trying to listen to someone's story, if you're trying to convince someone of something, it's tricky. Um, You should go with an intent before having any conversations with anybody so it doesn't get too intense. So examples of uh, emotions running high. You referenced a rabbi in your kind of opening paragraph here. What's he going through? Um, basically, he, you know, among among some group chats um, with people that he grew up with are really kind of, you know, going after some of his beliefs on the um, situation in Israel and Gaza. And it's really just dredging up a lot of, you know, of reminders um, of feeling excluded from these types of people. And it's becoming really difficult for him. Um, and it's just a further reminder about how people say a lot of things in the heat of a moment that they, you know, that they may not necessarily mean. Hmm. So you don't necessarily want to hold somebody accountable for every everything that they're saying when they're when emotions are running high. But you're going to remember what things that they said too. So it's kind of a balancing act there of what you want to really let you know sit with you and what you don't. This is not the first emotional issue we've dealt with. Obviously, what uh, I don't know what are what are better ways to deal with this. Um, I mean, better ways, I think, in general, are if you feel like you don't have the emotional capacity to talk about something of this nature, you are very much allowed to say, hi, I don't want to talk about this. You can tell somebody who wants to engage you on something that you are not interested or that you'll let them know when you are. That's totally cool. You also don't have to post about it on social media if you do not want to. There is no obligation. You can deal with things privately um, as much as you'd like. But in general, I would say really, you know, take a beat and try and listen to people before 
speaking generally and absorb information as much as possible because it's hard to you know it's hard to take something back once you've said something yeah we're speaking with david oliver wellness reporter at usa today he's written a story that's called israel gaza and how it's tearing your family and friends apart what else did you hear on this front from maybe uh, friends or family that are so divided that the differences might be irreparable uh, I think in general, you know, it's these are conversations that are between, you know, millennial partners and our Gen Z, I guess between millennials and our Gen Z partners. It's between parents and children. There are different generational aspects of this, different cultures that have different viewpoints on this. Friend groups, you know, arguing in group chats about things. It's definitely become a real problem that people are really afraid to talk on the record about. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to the sources who did speak with me. But in general, it's just something that people are finding difficult. I know in my own life, I'm finding it difficult just to talk about in general with people and often often refrain from doing so on purpose. Yeah. At the very tail end of your piece, uh, you quoted someone who said, behind every angry statement, behind every talking point we throw at each other, there's a hurt person. Explain that a little more. Basically, you know, we all have very, as we said before, intense emotions about this topic. Uh, particularly if somebody knows somebody directly involved or if someone is Jewish or someone is Palestinian, you know, there really are, you know, these people, I guess, feel really connected to this particular issue. So anytime somebody is lashing out about something in particular with this topic, it's typically because that they are hurt in some way and hurt by the way others may be speaking about them or talking to them. So that's sort of where this is coming from. It's a good reminder of just you know, remembering that everybody at the end of the day is a person and is dealing with very complicated feelings typically on this issue, or maybe to them, not, not complicated. Maybe they yeah, have yeah. a very clear idea about something that you see is the complete opposite, or maybe you're, you lie somewhere very much in a gray area. It's just part of, you know, either having conversations or withholding in order to make, you know, you know, in order to be productive in terms of your relationships. And often it's okay to hit pause, I think is the is the best thing, that I, is the best piece of advice that I got. Thanks, David. David Oliver, wellness reporter at USA Today. Thanks for being with us. Retailers thrive on tantalizing shoppers ahead of Black Friday, right? Keeping them guessing about how exactly the experience will unfold. But economic conditions, past sales, and other factors can provide clues about what's to come. In-depth analysis from Sarah Rathner, credit card expert at NerdWallet. Sarah, what's up here? Well, it might be a little calmer this year than you would be expecting. Some 2023 shoppers say they plan to purchase gifts for fewer people this holiday season or spend less on gifts per person compared with past years. That's according to our 2023 holiday shopping report. Is that inflation related? What do we make of this? It, yeah, things cost more and people have a lot of uh, competing priorities when it comes to where their money is going to go. It's hard to spend money on what feels like frivolous holiday expenses when you're trying to make rent or mortgage or your car payment, pay for childcare. You know, there's just so many directions your money is going. It's really hard to spend money right now. Yeah. Does that mean retailers are in a panic? Yeah, and you might not see as good of deals as we've seen in the past, but there will still be sales. So if you are waiting to find out what's on sale for Black Friday, you're not going to be disappointed. It just might be not as robust as in previous years. I feel like we see Black Friday sales earlier and earlier ahead of Black Friday. Does that water down like the Black Friday experience overall or not necessarily? 
Well, if you enjoy camping out in front of a store overnight, they're not going to take that away from you. <laughs> but uh, the pressure that retailers are feeling because of that lower consumer spending is making it so that they stretch these sales out. Uh, sales kicked off for Black Friday in early October, and they're going to continue through the rest of this holiday season. You'll also get great deals, of course, on Cyber Monday, which is two days after, mm. and and then going through December and then again into the new year. So. If you love the Black Friday experience and you want to save all of your shopping for that one day, go for it. But if you are spreading out your spending just because that's better for your budget right now and you, and you need to do that, then there are sales that are currently going on right now. All right. You referenced uh, Amazon and Walmart discounting Apple stuff like what? Oh, things like earbuds and, and all sorts of electronics that you might be buying as gifts for others or gifts for yourself. Um, I, you know, sometimes I know I use Black Friday as a time to buy some of the things I need for myself, maybe around the house, uh, small kitchen appliances. I just bought a space heater from Best Buy because I got early access to a Black Friday sale. It's not the most exciting purchase, but it was something that I needed. <laughs> so if you are looking to stock up on things for yourself and for your loved ones, now's the time to do it. We're speaking with Sarah Rathner, credit card expert at NerdWallet. They've got a piece running about what could be different about Black Friday this year. What about deliveries? This is an important discussion right now. This is important because online shopping, of course, is super popular. But if you wait until the last minute, those gifts that you're buying might not get to their recipients on time for the holidays. And that's because of two things. Uh, first was the recent auto workers strike that was leading to some delivery issues. Uh, if, say, delivery trucks couldn't get needed parts for repairs. Um, and then this hasn't happened yet, but there is that possibility of a government shutdown. And that affects supply chain because it affects customs and border protection. And that means that goods will not move into and out of the country as quickly as they possibly could. Wow. You made a point, too, in your piece about uh, shoppers having more time to make returns. Yes, a number of retailers are stretching out the amount of time you have to make returns. Big retailers like Amazon, Target, Walmart, of course. And that gives you a lot of flexibility if you wanted to take advantage of early sales, like shopping around Halloween for holidays. Uh, but then you change your mind or you get the wrong size or the wrong color and you need to exchange or return an item. You have sometimes into the new year to do that. Thanks, Sarah. Sarah Rathner, credit card expert at NerdWallet. Glad you could spend part of your Black Friday with us. Online marketplaces sell tiny pink cowboy hats. They also sell miniature pencil sharpeners, palm-sized kitchen utensils, and scaled-down books and camping chairs. Many of the minuscule objects are not clearly advertised. Others are deliberately designed to dupe the buyer. Here's Katie Dayton, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Katie, how's it work? Well, you order an item, um, normally from like a marketplace such as Amazon or, you know, one of these newer Chinese places like AliExpress. And what shows up in the mail is um, about one fifth or smaller of the size that you expected. So we've got, you know, tiny dog ramps. Uh, I've seen tiny little cowboy hats arriving. Um, even tiny rice cookers. Okay, so uh, to be fair, you say uh, dollhouse items are having a moment on social media, but this is not what a lot of people are ordering? 
No, that's right. Yeah, some people do deliberately, obviously, order Doll's House items if they have a Doll's House or if they're into that. But a lot of these listings um, on these marketplaces, they don't explicitly say um, this is for a Doll's House. Do not order this if you think this is the full size item. So what people do is they order, they think they're getting a bargain. They think, wow, I'm getting, in one case, you know, um, like 10 drawer pulls for their kitchen for less than two dollars and uh, what shows up at this uh, drawer pulls the size of pearls and uh, it's very much a case of uh, well two things happening one is uh, customers aren't always reading the dimensions checking the product descriptions and two is, is you know some of these sellers are kind of taking advantage of that and um, not making it super clear as they can do um, to to warn people that they're not getting a full-sized item. Wow. We're speaking with Katie Dayton, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Her story is called Your Online Order Has Been Delivered and It's Teeny Tiny. So if, if some are doing this deliberately then, um, I guess, wh- what what do they do? Well, d- deliberately in the sense that um, they are, they you know, in a lot of these cases, they are listing the dimensions, but just by the way that, you know, these web pages are designed, it's not in the headline necessarily. So, you know, you can go click on product description in some cases and there's a drop down, you know, item and then that's where you've got the list, the, the dimensions listed. Um, or they might have a photo with dimensions listed as part of the listing and then that's in the last picture on the carousel. So if you don't click all the way to the end, you might not see um, that that something's gonna show up and it's gonna be tiny. And um, a lot of people, you know, with a lot of these items, they're so basic, they're so household, you know, like why wouldn't you think if you ordered Mm. uh, hangers that they would come and they would be for for a regular adult size or or children's size? Why would you ever worry about accidentally ordering doll's house um hangers so it's uh, it's not it's not too much of um a nefarious kind of way of um tricking people into this but just by the nature of how these listings are presented it's definitely tripping some people up thanks katie katie dayton reporter at the wall street journal well we'll finish with this check out these odd black friday facts you probably haven't heard and may not even believe (laughs) they're from yahoo finance number one the first black friday wasn't about shopping way back in 1869 when the term was first used in the u.s black friday referred to a dark day when gold prices crashed it was in september of that year Number two, Black Friday is the busiest day for plumbers. Roto-Rooter says plumbers can be 50% busier than normal. On Thanksgiving and the day after, people try to dispose of leftovers down the kitchen sink. It turns out that a pile of turkey parts, a river of grease, and a heap of uneaten vegetables can't go down the pipe together. And number three, Black Friday shoppers will buy literally nothing. One year, the creators of the popular party card game, Cards Against Humanity, advertised you could pay $5 for nothing on Black Friday. More than 11,000 customers went for it. The company raked in more than 71,000 bucks. The windfall went to employees as a holiday bonus. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.